Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of Thinking Christian. I'm Dr. James Spencer. I'm here with Nate and our special guest, Michael McDowell. Uh, Michael, it's great to meet you. Uh, we haven't met before. I know you and Nate sort of know each other, um, but I'll let you introduce yourself a bit and uh, just give everybody a sense of who you are and what you do. Yeah, so I'm Michael McDowell. Um, I am married to my wife, Jamie. Uh, we've been together for 18 years now. We just celebrated the 18th year anniversary, and we have five kids, uh, three girls, two boys, four biological, one adopted, okay. and uh, our oldest being 14 and our youngest being uh, nine months. So a uh, pretty big spread there. Um, and I race in NASCAR. I've been a NASCAR driver for 16 years. Um, and my entire life has been geared around motorsports and, and racing. And, um, yeah, so that's kind of the snapshot. Very cool. My wife and I are actually adopting right now. So, oh, really? uh, so yeah, um, we've got, my son is 18, just turned 18. Um, we have twin daughters, 14. And then I have uh, an adoptive daughter. We're working through the process. So it's still technically foster, but moving toward adoption, who wow. uh, just turned three this weekend. Oh, that's awesome. So, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So very cool. Good to good to know one more person who's been through that. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So, man, I know you travel around a good bit. Where are you at this morning? Yeah, so I'm at home this morning. Um, you know, our season, it, it's fairly long. It goes from, you know, February to uh, middle of November. So I always think about it from Valentine's Day to Thanksgiving is kind of our season. Um, so this is our off season. And so at home and um, and hanging out and, yeah, just, um, you know, we get, we get a couple months. And usually, you know, around the holidays, you're traveling and different things, too. So, um it's a bit busy but yeah right now we're just just hanging out you do a lot in the off season kind of uh appearances and autograph signings and that kind of stuff or is that does that mostly integrate in with the season yeah I try not to um if I can <laughs> um but a lot of times you're getting caught up on things that you didn't do during the season like probably some IOUs and uh things like that where you you know whether it be interviews or um, you know, different obligations that you have to partners or um, appearances. So we just I actually just got back from the NASCAR banquet uh, where they do the award ceremony. Um, and that was probably the last of the sort of media PR stuff that I had to do. Um, you know, for the most part, all the outlets and all the TV and everything's there. So any interviews that they wanted, they sort of set aside a block of time before the banquet to, you know, talk about your season, talk about your off season, preseason. So I think I have most of it out of the way. Um, it should be should be pretty light here for the next uh, month or so. Sweet. And what does prep? I mean, what does prep look like for next season? I know you're you know you're saying Valentine's Day to Thanksgiving. So I mean, what do you do between now and and February to kind of get everything ready and and going? Um, or are you just kind of off like sabbatical style? Uh, I came out of academia, so you know, take a sabbatical. <laughs> right. You're in theory you're writing, but really, I think everybody just sleeps. Yeah. Um, and so, is it kind of like that? Or you do you have a lot of tune up on the car? Do you have a lot of you know sort of driving that kind of stuff where you're trying to get everything dialed in? What does that look like? Yeah, it's. it's- different um each season's a little bit different um so from the team standpoint yes like that's a it's a total revamp everything gets you know torn apart gone through you know measured replaced sandblasted repainted it's like starting fresh right so the team doesn't really have an off season um the guys at the shop they're working the same hours right now that they would during the season so that doesn't really change a whole lot for them other than not traveling on the weekends and not having to, you know, to go to the actual yeah. races. Um, for me, it just kind of depends on what I need to work on, what needs to be accomplished in the off season. You know, sometimes it's recruitment, trying to find people and, and, you know, there's always a bit of turnover. So, um, you know, like any off season for a professional football team, you know, guys are getting, you know, picked off from one team to another and things like that. So, <laughs> Um, but this season, there's not much of that last two years. That's been my primary focus was people. Um, but this year we were able to keep our group together, which is really awesome. 
it'll it'll allow us to continue to build and grow. Um, and so for me personally, it's kind of two or three different parts is two years ago, I did a pretty extensive, like, um, I'd call it a detox, but like a off season kind of like fast detox, try to get healthy with your body and everything else. Cause you know, our sports different than professional sports. We're not like trying to rehab, you know, where we got hurt. We're trying to, um, get rid of some of the fumes and carbon dioxide and things that get into your body, you know, because you're sitting on a fireball for, you know, four or five hours a week. So, um, and then, you know, just training in particular, as far as just physically, mentally, all those things, and then, um, going through data. So we'll go through a lot of data and we'll, we'll highlight a few areas that, we feel like, or I feel like I need to do better going into the next season. Um, and so you find those areas and, and you study data, you study film, kind of come up with a plan to work through those. Um, but all that is pretty loose. It's not like scheduled Monday, Tuesday, I have to do that. And Wednesday, Thursday, I have to do that. It's fairly self-disciplined. If that makes sense, you're doing it on your own or with your engineers. Um, but yeah, so there, there's some work, but there's other guys that do nothing and there's other guys that do a tremendous amount and everywhere in between. And it's probably like that in professional sports, right? Yeah. There's probably some yeah. guys that go into the off season and, and just rest and relax and get intense when it's time to, and other guys, you know, stay in that mode so that they don't fall out. So, um, you know, over the years, you know, I've been doing it a long time now. I've sort of found my, you know, routine of, of what works for me. Cool. Sure. There's a lot that goes into NASCAR. Right? There's so much science. I had no idea. I was really shocked when you shared with me a while back, uh, all the things that go into it. Like it's crazy, the air conditioning suit and, and all that stuff. It's definitely a lot more for our listeners that know, I know it's not like football or some of those other sports you kind of alluded to, but there's definitely a lot that goes into it. Yeah, it is. It's a complicated sport. It's different than, stick and ball sports um, because the vehicle is as important, if not more important than the actual athlete or the driver. And so it's two, two different aspects of team car vehicle, then driver skill set, um, overall ability. And um, so there's more moving parts. There's more um, parts to manage aspects to manage and then also too, you know, our sports driven by, and our teams are driven by sponsorship dollars, right? Where that's different than Dallas Cowboys, right? I mean, obviously they have partners, but you know, they make their money off of the league. The league is who pays the teams, the teams pay the players, their salary caps, their budget, things like that, where motorsports is not like that. So um, depending on where you're at sponsorship wise and partner wise, a lot of guys off season might be just that it might just be working on new partnerships and flying around to board meetings and different marketing meetings. And um, so there's a lot of different aspects to our sport and the driver is sort of the focal point of all those things from a branding and a marketing and um, uh, you know, that standpoint. So you have to be fairly engaged in every aspect of the sport. You can't just be like, Oh, I got people that take care of that and not really know what's going on behind the scenes. So um, there's definitely a lot to it. Sure. Well, man, I, I kind of checked out your website a little bit and, you know, in your bio, one of the things you note is that you're a committed follower of Jesus Christ. And so I'd be interested just to hear, you know, apart from racing, how did you, um, how did you come to faith in Christ? Um, and what is your spiritual life like? Yeah. So, um, you know, if you go back to childhood, I grew up in a good home and had great parents, but, um, faith wasn't, um, a focal point or a part of, uh, our family. If that, if that makes sense, it wasn't like, it wasn't like my parents were atheists and you couldn't talk about it, but, my dad grew up in the Catholic church, went to Catholic school. And I think he was fairly um, jaded by that experience and kind of wanted to keep his kids distant uh, from quote unquote religion. And, um, but I believe like the moral fabric and moral DNA was there in our family. Like I said, I, I grew up in a 
and a good home. Um, and so as I was coming up through growing up racing go-karts and racing was always the focal point of my life. It was, you know, from the time I was seven, eight years old, like this is what I wanted to do. This is what I've been pursuing. And so, um, that really was my, my main focus. And so as far as my faith story goes, you know, it wasn't until I was probably 16, 17 years old. Um, I was, while I was racing, I was also coaching. So I would do like, um, driver training and coaching. And, um, it was a way for me to, to network and also help fund some of my racing. So if I wasn't at the racetrack with myself, I was with other people coaching and training them. And so just to kind of give you a little bit of background and there's two guys in particular that I was training that, um, you know, that I say the best way to describe them was godly men that lived out their faith. And, um, I didn't know what that meant at the time. Um, I could only articulate that now. But at the time, it was just more of there's something different about these guys, the the way that they live their lives, the way that um, they engage with their family, their businesses, just overall, you could feel that there was something different. Um, yeah. So I feel like those guys were really influential in the, the start of my faith journey, and it was the Lord pursuing me through those guys that really led me to ask questions. Um, and so, you know, what was the trigger to that is uh, Ron Huber, the guy that I was working for, I was actually training his grandson, um, but worked for him. And um, he was at a go-kart track on a Segway scooter, uh, hit a rock, fell, hit his head and passed away. About a, I think it was about a week or a few days later. And so it was at his funeral that I was challenged um, by another guy, Tom Barnett, just about, this is how he phrased it. I'll just tell you exactly what he said is he said, he asked me, did I think Ron was in heaven? And so for me, not growing up in the church, not really having a full understanding of what eternity looks like and who makes it and who doesn't, and not knowing the gospel as you know, could just answer it the best way that I knew how was that, yes, good people go to heaven, right? Yeah. And so that's kind of the the worldly measuring stick, right? And um, and he said, well, you know, what about you? Where are you at? And God just used that question, where are you at, to really challenge every area of my life, which um, I hadn't had much conviction up until that point or really knew what that was, um, or maybe you just grow to suppress or be immune to it. I don't know, you know, how, how you would phrase it, but, um, how I would describe that couple period, two, three weeks, it was just God pursuing me and convicting me. Um, and I think that God a lot of times pursues us through conviction. Um, and so, you know, as a 17 year old, I was thinking about how I wanted to live my life, what, you know, how I wanted to be a husband, which I wasn't married, how I wanted to be a father. I wasn't, didn't have any kids. Like I was like, I thought I was losing my mind. I was literally felt like <laughs> going on and I can't figure it out. And um, my, my wife and I, we've been together since we were 16. So we were together at that time. And her aunt and uncle invited us to church and um, we liked hanging out with them. They were fun. And, you know, I, I'd been to church maybe for like handful of funerals, handful of weddings, but never really no youth groups, no youth camps, nothing really like an actual service um, of any sort, you know, yeah. uh, but they, like I said, we liked hanging out with them. They were fun. Um and they convinced us that they'd take us to lunch afterwards. So um, we figured we would go and hang out with them. And, <laughs> and, you know, this was during that two or three week period where uh, I was having a lot of conviction and a lot of confusion. And um, it was at a, a big church in Phoenix in Peoria and um, thousands of people. I'm a big church and I'm never sitting there and like, looking around and like pretty disconnected from like, well, who pays for this? And what is it, you know, where do they get the money? And like, I'm thinking about all <laughs> weird things, right? um, but when the message started 
it felt literally like I was the only person in that church. And it felt like, like the Lord was talking right to me. And I was already wigging out over these two or three weeks, not knowing what was going on. And the pastor was just talking about how um, God's grace is a free gift and that you, you can't earn it. You can't work for it. You can't purchase it. And growing up in racing, you know, I I've equated everything to hard work. And if you don't have a fast car, you buy better parts. Like you (laughs) can work for it, you can purchase it, you can make it better. Um, and so that was a fairly foreign concept to me. Um, but you know, he was just, like I said, he was just talking about God's grace and forgiveness that it's a free gift. It's not something you can earn or buy, but that, um, that you receive through faith and that you could have a fresh start and a clean slate. And out of all the stuff that I heard that day, the fresh start and the clean slate is what really you know, hit home for me. Well, we'll take a break there. You're listening to Thinking Christian on Life Audio. Our guest is NASCAR driver Michael McDowell. More on his testimony when we come back on Thinking Christian. It goes without saying, but the Bible has changed so many lives. Take a second and think about it. If you didn't have access to a Bible or were even allowed to have one, this is a reality that many are facing. That's why I want to tell you about one of our partners, Crew. Crew has missionaries in almost every country, and they are seeing people come to know Jesus. There's just one thing they're missing, a Bible in their own language. For only $24 a month, you can provide three people with Bibles each and every month. When you sign up to provide three Bibles with a monthly gift of $24, Crew will also provide meals to 12 hungry individuals through their humanitarian aid ministry. Plus, you'll receive a free copy of my book, Christian Resistance. Simply text THINKING to 71326 to help today. That's T-H-I-N-K-I-N-G. Or visit give.crew.org backslash thinking. Again, that's give.cru.org backslash thinking. Message and data rates may apply. Available to U.S. addresses only. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. You know, I don't think anybody fully understands the the depth and understands the gospel the first time it's presented, right? Uh, and I don't think we ever fully grasp it, but it was... I knew I wanted it. I knew I wanted that fresh start. I knew I wanted that clean slate. And, you know, that was really the beginning of my faith journey. And, you know, I've been, uh, let's see what year that was. That was 2004. So almost 20 years ago. And um, I, I went into the my faith journey with a lot of questions and i've never been somebody that is like taking anything at face value i'm i'm a a skeptic at heart and and so it caused me to really like dive in and try to understand and to challenge a lot of people that were around me that were trying to speak life into my faith journey but i was just i was skeptic and so, um, and I just kept 
pressing in and reading and asking and reading and asking. And um, it was a slower journey for me than, you know, when I look back, I was like, oh, man, I wish I'd have just taken it with faith and face value. Um, but it also, it also forced me to, um, understand and, and truly know what I believe and why I believe it. And I think that just through that time, you know, year, two years, God was just continuing to reveal and prove himself to be trustworthy and, and prove the Bible to be the authoritative word of God. And so, um, it was, yeah, it was uh, an interesting journey because I feel like it was mostly academic and not really centered around faith. And then I just got to a place where I was like, all right, God, <laughs> like uh, you're legit and whatever you want me to do and however you want me to do it, I'll do it. Um, and I stopped maybe fighting the fight um, of trying to, from a head knowledge standpoint, understand it all. Yeah. Uh, but God used that time and continues to use that time, right? Because I think that I, I got a halfway seminary degree by those few years of really digging in, and <laughs> it's helped me a tremendous amount. Fifteen years later, when you're when you're asked tough questions or uh, you're in tough situations, to to be able to lean lean on you know some of that understanding that I I kind of gained while I was questioning things. Yeah. That's cool, man. I, I will say like when I was, so I came to faith in 97, sophomore in college, senior year, I was being discipled by this guy from Campus Crusade for Christ. And uh, he told me when I was about to graduate, he's like, you're too hard headed for anybody to teach you this stuff yourself or them, you know, for anyone to teach you this stuff, you need to learn it for yourself. And so he's the one who actually suggested I go on to seminary. Oh, wow. And so, yeah, my wife and I joke a lot. It's like, you know, 12 years. So I did an MDiv, an MA, and then a PhD. She's like, it was 12 years of the most uh, expensive discipleship process ever in life. And I was like, yeah, yeah that's pretty much it. So, yeah. so I totally get where you're at. Like that skeptics mentality. I think I had that as well, but um, eventually it goes away and uh, it's cool to, to hear your story. Yeah. Yeah. It does go away um, in some areas, not in all areas. Yeah. <laughs> uh, very very skeptic still but um you know if you roll that into my career you know that was probably the hardest thing for me to to let go the area to let go and and what I mean by let go is I felt like okay like I can give God this 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 but man I've I don't know if he understands this like this is what I've worked for and, and I have a good pulse and feel for what's happening. And, um, and so through a painful removal process, you know, I was at a place where I really didn't have anything going on in front of me, future wise, career wise. And, and it, that was probably the turning point for me to be like, okay, all right, what do you want me to do? You know, and at that point I was contemplating a full-time ministry or going back to school. Um, cause I knew, I knew the Lord had something for me. I really felt that I felt yeah. that, um, you know, some people call it a calling whatever you want to call it, but I just had that tug of like all these things that he has wired me with, um, are for a reason and a purpose. And I feel like it's leaning this direction. Um, and, but, you know, just one year at a time, an opportunity would come up and I would feel like I'm supposed to do it. And then it wouldn't be that great, but it would be okay. And (laughs) opportunity, the next opportunity, next opportunity. So, um, my career has been a very slow growth as well. Um, and it, it hasn't been easy. Um, you know, if, if you're a stick and ball person, you know, I don't even think I could put it into words to, or context for, you know, your listeners understand, but essentially I was on the bench, um, playing very minimally, uh, for 10 years, you know, uh, which was really hard for me to do because one, it was, it was hard for me to provide for my family that way. Um, cause when you're not running well and you don't have, 
you know, a big team or partners, you're not making much money. And, and two is, is that I've worked my entire life to be in this spot to, and you just feel like I didn't work my entire life to do it like this. Mm-hmm. Like I'll just go do something else. It's, it wasn't even a pride or an ego thing. It just felt like a waste. It felt like, well, why in the world would I, you know, devote 20 years to something and it not be good. Right. Sure. Um, yeah. but you know, through that, that process too, you know, God really just was showing and revealing to me, you know, just where my worth and where my value comes from and that my purpose is, I mean, it, you know, people always say, ah, oh, I don't know what my purpose is, or I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And, and I, I kind of probably was in that, that boat, um, 10 or 15 years ago as well. Um, but now it's so easy for me. It's like, no, it's like really clear. We have a purpose. Love the Lord, your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Right. And love others. Make disciples. That's it. Right. That's it. Love people, make disciples. And so everybody has a purpose. So I was like, okay, well, how does that look inside of racing if I'm not doing well? And, um, you know, we, we ended up, my wife and I, and at the track, you know, got plugged into a Bible study and discipling guys. And then that turned into guys coming to know the Lord and their wives being like, Whoa, what happened to my, you know, my husband, he's (laughs) totally strange and his life's changed to us having small group at our house to home church to like, and God just continued to like, just provide the history the purpose while my career was still sucking you know it wasn't going good but i felt like i was at the racetrack for more than just going around in circles um and so that gave it a lot it gave it like new life right like yeah it just gave it a purpose and a meaning um and so then i went down you know i I still pursuing my career and still working hard and still trying to make things you know progress and get better but it really wasn't and so you know i i kind of not that i was ever like accepted it but i'm like okay well maybe that's just not what the lord has right maybe maybe i'm supposed to be here and just be faithful and be obedient and you know this is way more important than having success on the racetrack and you know and so um it was easy to i I don't know kind of justified not having the passion to really do it well if that makes sense yeah um and so you know it's these different seasons these different seasons in life that you hit and um and and we're in a new season you know these last four years my career is like just skyrocketed right which doesn't usually happen at my age and after 12 years of being in it, you know, it'd be like a quarterback that's been on the bench, right? For or is the second or third string for 12 years that all of a sudden is getting more play time and and now he's crushing it, right? And so yeah, this doesn't happen that often. Um, <laughs> but it's also easy to see the Lord's hand in it too, right? And yeah. it's been um, it's been a crazy journey, and yeah, I mean, you know, you look back and you're like, well, that's wild, but. Um, you know, to, to have the success that we've had the last few years, you know, my, my first win was the Daytona 500, our, our Super Bowl, our biggest race. Yeah. So that was wild. And so awesome. Yeah. It was so cool. I think, you know, everyone talks about how great it is and how amazing it is. And, and, but for me, it was more of like, it had been such a struggle for so long that it didn't even seem um, feasible that something like that could happen. <laughs> and then the, you know, the, the other side of that is like, I could see God's hand and provision in it and oh, that yeah. he allowed it to happen. So that made it a very, like, I call those aha moments where you really feel the presence of the Lord of like, you know, he didn't have to, but, but he allowed us to experience it and to yeah. enjoy it and to take it in. Um, so that was really cool and, and really special for my family. And, you know, there's so many people that are behind you in your career, especially in motorsports. 
um, not just my immediate family, but, you know, there's been people that have sponsored and supported and come alongside you for years. And so it was such a big moment to, um, to have, you know, the success come with it. And um, so, yeah, it was special. Um, And I think just knowing where your value and where your purpose is helped me not to let the highs be too high and the lows be too low. And, um, you know, I just felt like it was a gift and it, it's not, it wasn't expected and I, and I don't expect him to, to do it again. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, yeah. So it was, it was a, a, a neat experience. You certainly put in the work and, and definitely went through some of those low times. I remember, I forget the name of the company, but one of your garages or the, the team you were with didn't have a fire or something. There was a garage that burned down yeah. Yeah. several years ago, which I know that was probably a really tough trial to go through that probably changed things and was difficult to walk through. I know you've experienced some lows for sure. So uh, can you speak to that a little bit? Like, was that one of the most challenging things in that journey or? Um, no, that wasn't the most challenging. I think that there's been a lot of, yeah, there's been a lot of lows. Right. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you the story because it, it changed changed a lot for me is I was in a, a season of just really struggling, not, not just mentally, but on the racetrack and career wise and just, you know, just trying to figure out, you know, what are you even doing? And um, I had signed up to go speak at a church, like in between basically where we were racing in Richmond and home. And, um, you know, I would sign up for different things and yeah, I wouldn't do a whole lot of research of what I was doing or where I was going. Um, (laughs) but yeah, just, I, and I remember being like a little bit put off by doing it. Like I'm tired. I'm wore out. I drove, you know, four hours from Richmond to get to this church the next morning. And, um, so anyways, I go in there and it's, it's this biker church it's literally like a hell's angels church. Right. And it is wild. It was the most wildest experience I've ever, ever had. And I remember just sitting there and just praying and thinking like, Lord, what am I going to even, what am I even going to say? How do I relate to these guys? Like, I mean, um, when I mean rough, I mean rough, like, I mean, a lot of amputees, a lot of like, um, vets, tattooed face to toe like crazy and um it was one of those times where i'm like i've probably only done it three or four times in in my life where i just like (laughs) close my eyes stick my hand in bible and flip to a page you know and just kind of see where the lord lands um that just shows you how little uh, preparation i put into it sorry i gotta (laughs) i gotta turn my uh my uh robot vacuum off here otherwise we're gonna have a loud noise um, so anyways i'm at this biker church and um i flipped to my bible and land on james one and it says consider it pure joy my brothers when you face trials of many kinds um that the testing our of our faith produces perseverance and endurance and uh, and i just remember thinking like like man, I think I'm in a trial and I look around this room and mm. there's like some real trials, you know, and it just changed my perspective of why God allows us to go through difficult things. And it's not, it's not because he's mad. It's not because he's frustrated. It's not because we missed the mark. It's because he wants to train us and mold us into his likeness and one of the ways that he does that is through trials. And so, you know, it's easy to say, you know, it's one of, it's one of those verses that I think people can flip, you know, like graze over of like, Oh, consider it pure joy. But like when you can see it from the lens and the perspective of like, I'm going to, I'm going to count this time that's miserable as joyful because I know the Lord's doing something with it, that it's not wasted, that it has a meaning and it has a purpose, whether that's, removing an area of my life, whether that's protecting you from something that you don't even know you need to be protected from, but I'm just going to change my lens 
in my perspective of what it's like to walk through trials. And so that morning was really impactful for me um, to just change my perspective on when you're walking through something difficult that it's, it's for your good, that it's doing something good. Um, and so that helped me, you know, for the next five or six years. And it, it almost became like a little bit of an inside joke of like, when you have that day, like, yeah, just consider it pure joy, you know? And, um, and I know it's hard to do and, and, um, you know, everybody's struggles are, are, are their own. Um, and, but for me, it was just more of just having that new, new perspective. Right. And, and just having a new, you know, like when, when the Bible says that like the old is gone and the new has come, it's like, it's like stepping into those new clothes and having that new perspective of life. It doesn't mean that you're still not muddy. <laughs> like you're still, you're still going to have trials. You're still going to have difficulties, but it's just giving you a, f- a fresh perspective of it and in a different outlook. So. Absolutely. Yeah. That's awesome. You know, as you're going kind of through that, you talked about you have Bible studies and small groups, you're discipling guys, you know, you're, even though your your career isn't exactly going the way you want. You, we, Nate and I talked to Daryl Strawberry um, a way back, and he talked about the difficulty of being Christian within the MLB. Yeah. Um, that, you know, it was just a different context and culture and being Christian in the MLB wasn't a big deal, you know, wasn't... Yeah looked upon well let's say um it was difficult um the lifestyle and everything um what would you say you know from a nascar perspective is it a more welcoming environment for people of faith is it a more you know is the culture and context such that you know i I mean i'm not saying everybody's going to embrace christianity or something like that but um you know do you feel is there antagonism is there uh or is there an openness to it um Yes. Yeah. All the above. I yeah. Think. Yeah. <laughs> so to, I, I read uh, Daryl Strawberry's book. Um, I thought it was really good. And, and I don't read a lot of, I, I'm more of a apologetic, like deep sure. theological read. Like I don't really read a lot of people's stories. I just like, I just want like real in depth. Yeah. I don't like to be entertained all that much, if that makes sense. But uh, somebody gave me that book and I read it on a plane. I thought it was really good. Um, but to, to answer your question, I feel like Christianity in our sport is very well receptive or receptive. Um, it's a Southeast Southern sport, Bible belt. Everybody loves Jesus. No big deal. Right. Um, so I don't, I don't feel from an overall, like if you looked at it from a global, you know, it's, it's, there's not much persecution from that standpoint. Right. Yeah. Um, the difficulties and challenges are more of the, uh, well, we'll just break it down into categories, the commercial side of it. I've lost tremendous amount of deals because of what I stand for and who I am, uh, from a partnership standpoint. And so when you draw a line in the sand and you say, I won't do these things, it puts you in a fairly tight box of who you can pitch and who you can't. And now the world that we live in, that's even way worse. Like that's changed a tremendous amount in the last five or six years, you know, Um, as corporations and, and marketing firms and how people brand things and the things that they support and the things that you won't, um, it's really limited (laughs) the space of, of what you can do. So that is definitely one area that I can pinpoint and tell you this has affected my career. Because I've had to say no to really good deals because I wasn't willing to do certain things. But I, same thing, I just I count that as a privilege, man. Like I feel like that's a stripe of of honor, not not the opposite, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the next category would be because we're in the Bible Belt and because everybody loves Jesus, it actually makes evangelism and discipleship really tough because everybody thinks that they're good with God and everybody thinks that they know Jesus, right? where for me it was the growing up it was the opposite it wasn't like the cool thing it wasn't like the yeah we went to church you either were or you weren't you were either in or you were out it wasn't like this gray area and when I moved to North Carolina it was just like it's so weird and it still is and so 
um, that makes it harder as far as outreach and, and the opportunity that there is. I also look at it through like, I've been to third world countries and I've seen what poverty and I've seen what persecution is and we don't have it here. Not, I mean, I'm not saying this to, as a soundbite or a jab, but even Daryl Strawberry does not know what persecution is, right? Uh, right. There's there's challenges and there's difficulties, um, yeah. but it's not it's not what people face around the world, right? We have it fairly easy here, but that's also why it's hard to reach people. Yeah, I mean, it just is, and so yeah, but I I feel like there's not much resistance, and it's not something that's hard to live out your faith, but like the MLB and what Daryl was alluding to in that, like I go to the banquet, I'm not going to the after parties. I'm not, not drinking, not doing all the things, not running around. And so is it hard to fit in? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I got five kids and the dinners don't start. I'm already in bed. You know what I mean? (laughs) I do. (laughs) Yeah. 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 There's some challenges, but it's, it's not, uh, it's not that bad. You're listening to Thinking Christian on Life Audio. Our guest is NASCAR driver Michael McDowell. What a great conversation between he and uh, and Nate and and James. Uh, More on his testimony and actually conclusion on Thinking Christian. It goes without saying, but the Bible has changed so many lives. Take a second and think about it. If you didn't have access to a Bible or were even allowed to have one, This is a reality that many are facing. That's why I want to tell you about one of our partners, Crew. Crew has missionaries in almost every country, and they are seeing people come to know Jesus. There's just one thing they're missing, a Bible in their own language. For only $24 a month, you can provide three people with Bibles each and every month. When you sign up to provide three Bibles with a monthly gift of $24, Crew will also provide meals to 12 hungry individuals through their humanitarian aid ministry. Plus, you'll receive a free copy of my book, Christian Resistance. Simply text THINKING to 71326 to help today. That's T-H-I-N-K-I-N-G. Or visit give.crew.org backslash thinking. Again, that's give.cru.org backslash thinking. Message and data rates may apply. Available to U.S. addresses only. What's some other things that's really kind of fuels you, so to speak, you know, your mind, your spiritual journey, like when you're getting ready or maybe before the race, during the race, after race, things like that. When you're talking about Christian music, you know, it's been a huge part of my walk in my life. And I think a lot of it had to do was it was two parts. It was one part of me like drawing the line in the sand and like no more. I won't be, I won't allow things to come in that aren't from the Lord or aren't good. And um, I'll tell you a quick story because I think it's important. I just, I was going down the road and I was listening to, I think it was Eminem and I was, I don't know, maybe a year into my walk. So a new believer. And I knew every word to every song, like memorized. And it was like a light switch that like the Lord revealed to me, like right in that moment of like, that's not who you are and that's not what you're about. Mm. And um, I threw away every CD that I had that day and I put on Christian radio and I haven't listened to anything ever since. And wow. so it was a two part. It was, uh, it was, you know, the Bible tells us you put on our full armor of God. And this was me putting on an, an armor in an area of not letting my, my ears and my mind and my heartbeat, you know, infiltrated with things that I didn't even know I was allowing in. Right. Because it was just, you were just going along with the music. Right. Um, But then replacing that with something that was good, you know, and that something that was building you up and, and bringing you closer. So um, that was one of those, those aha moment days too, where, it was like, all right, no more done. And that was it. But, you know, I think that the Lord constantly brings you encouragement, whether it's through a Bible study or a small group or, you know, a sermon or a church service or a podcast or, 
you know, your children or, you know, just people coming to know the Lord. Like that's to me, that's like one of the most encouraging things, the witness, even if you're not even a part of it or, you know, just seeing God move and God active. Um, and so, yeah, so, you know, I, I believe a hundred percent that, um, I, I tell my kids crap in crap out what you allow in will affect what comes out. And so we limit our crap in, um, and, and that's hard to do in the world that we live in. I mean, it's super hard to do. Um, your kids. Yeah. So man, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we limit it and we just try to try to make sure that we're not, we're not opening the door or like giving the enemy a hole and giving them an opportunity. And, um, I think that it's easy to walk through all that very naive and be like, Oh, it's just a song. You have to listen to the words, like, like it's not just a song. <laughs> so, um, yeah, yeah. But different, different stages, different things, you know, for sure. Well, as we're kind of, we're kind of getting close to wrapping up. Uh, I just have one more question. I mean, you mentioned the, so I'm a theology geek at heart. I think, you know, I mean, I've got a stack of books. You could see it here. Um, you can't, it's, uh, I think there's like 20 of them just stacked up on my desk next to me, um, that I refer to as I'm doing writing or whatever. And so I'm constantly reading, I love academic theology and, um, so it's awesome. So as my kind of my final question for you is what have you been reading lately? Like, what are some of your like favorite theology books? What are some of your favorite ones that you kind of go back to other than the Bible? Of course, um, I know the Bible yeah. would be central, but, um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I don't know if I could pinpoint my all-time favorite. Yeah, yeah. Um, but if I if I narrowed it down to whatever the season was of life, the ones that have been most impactful um, as far as like changing the trajectory of my faith, which probably weren't theological books. It was Francis Chan's Crazy Love. That was probably the mm. first. Yeah. Um. I, I really enjoyed, but it, it's not an easy read is, um, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Yeah. Uh, just because I was really in the time I was really, I was having a lot of debates with, with atheists and Jehovah witnesses and other people. And I'm like, I found that book and I'm like, Oh, this is it. Like if you want to charge up and have all the weapons you need to ha have these conversations. Um, but it's been very interesting because, early on that's that's really what i was about and i like i said i think it was useful but yeah. now, now i'm like man i don't i don't even um i i don't know if it's just blind faith or what it is but i'm like flip the switch where i'm just like yeah i don't i don't need to read that i don't need to dig in that much you know like i just i know yeah real and legit and true and then i've also stopped trying to find arguments um i think for a long time i was trying to <laughs> uh, yeah i'm well prepared for them but i'm not looking for them if that makes sense right it does yeah and i was so early on i was just like i was looking for a fight you know and so i wanted yeah. to be equipped as much as i could for the fight um yeah so different i guess i'm getting soft is what i'm saying <laughs> <laughs> I totally get it. Um, and I think uh, I know my wife at least is happy that I've gotten a little softer and that I'm not out uh, trolling the streets for theological arguments. Uh, yeah. Every once in a while, I'll go on a rant. She'll be like, yeah, there's the there's the old James. But uh, yeah. I totally get what you're saying. At some point, you just got to kind of let it go. And uh, it's I'm hoping it's a sign of maturity. I'll put yeah. it like that. <laughs> well, Michael, it's been great. Uh, getting to know you and hearing your story and um, really appreciate you having uh, appreciate having you on is there a place where folks can find out more information about you about your team and and all that kind of good stuff yeah i think so um yeah um i just launched a new website which is in mcdowell.com it's the same domain that i've had but just updated it um nice and i have all the social channels there and yeah so if you go to that that'll kind of take you to everything there but um yeah, it's it's funny in this world that we live in, uh, social media and all that. Um, I have a guy now, and I don't, <laughs> and I just don't. Um, I have a guy. <laughs> it's so consuming. 
And I think it's a little bit what we talked about. Like for my job, it's necessary. Yeah. And I think from a ministry standpoint, it's great too. And I know a lot of good comes from it, but it's a little bit of that crap in crap out. And I just don't want it to affect me in the, in the wrong way. And so I got a guy, he pushes everything good out there. Um, but I'm not, I'm not super engaged in it. <laughs> well, that's cool, man. But people can find it at mcdowell.com and link to your Instagram and social and stuff like that. And I know how you feel about social media. Um, it's a, it's a bane and a blessing, right? Yeah, it is. So, yeah. Very cool, man. Well, thanks for being on the show. Um, yeah. Everybody, if you want to find out more about Michael, mmcdowell.com, uh, and uh, and then uh, the social channels will be linked there. And um, Nate, thanks uh, for ho- co-hosting today. And yeah. we will catch you on the next episode of Thinking Christian, y'all. Thank you so much, brother. Appreciate you. Thank you, guys. For more on Thinking Christian and Useful to God Ministries, visit usefultogod.com. I'm Richard Beatty, and we'll see you soon on Thinking Christian. I want to take just a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on the Thinking Christian Podcast. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you will find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. Life Audio. Hi, I'm Rebecca Scott. As a servant of God, wife, and mother of four, I understand the juggle of multiple roles and stages. That's why I created the Encourager podcast to help guide us through the messy middle stage of life. Join me on the Encourager as we challenge the chaos and embrace harmony. Together, we'll create practical systems to balance your roles and fulfill priorities. And we will do it while having joy and energy for both home and work life. Tune in for inspiring stories and interviews, actionable tips, and methods to do both home and work life. Because here, we believe you can do all things, just not all at once.